A key component of the modern world economy, the chemical industry delivers products and innovations to enhance everyday life. It is also an industry in transformation, where chemical executives and workers are delivering growth and industry-changing advancements while responding to pressures from investors, regulators, and public opinion. Discover how leading companies are approaching these challenges here on The Chemical Show. Join Victoria Meyer, president of Progressio Global and host of The Chemical Show, as she speaks with executives across the industry and learns how they are leading their companies to grow, transform, and push industry boundaries on all frontiers. Here's your host, Victoria Meyer. Hi, this is Victoria Meyer, president of Progressio Global and host of The Chemical Show. Thanks for joining us today. This episode is being recorded as part of the Chemical Show Live series of events where people across the industry join in for the interview and then have an opportunity for an audience Q&A. This is actually the last one of 2022 and we'll be restarting again in 2023. So if you want a chance to join in for a future live discussion, be on the lookout. You can subscribe to our email list. Just go to thechemicalshow.com and you'll have a subscribe button there. And you can also follow The Chemical Show on LinkedIn for the latest information. Today, I am speaking with Kevin Huntsman, who is the president of Mastio & Company. Mastio provides customer value insights across a range of industries. And Kevin and I first got introduced, and we were chatting about this just before the show, when we had them help. When I was at Shell, we had them helping with their polyethylene value study. So that's something we're going to be talking about today. Kevin specializes in survey design and data collection in the chemical and energy industries, as well as does a lot of work in transportation and logistics. And he has been helping to provide data-based insights into customer value for over two decades. And we're going to be talking a lot about that. So Kevin, welcome to The Chemical Show. Thank you. I appreciate it, Victoria. Absolutely. So what's your origin story? How did you get to Mastio and what made you interested in this space? Well, I liked data. I liked numbers and statistics and out of college, I worked for a company in a logistics role, and then my wife graduated and was going to be a teacher, so we moved to the Kansas City area, and just looking through and trying to find an area that was of interest to me, Dick Mastio, who started Mastio and Company in 1989, I was fortunate enough to meet him, and from there, we talked for a few months, and we convinced one another that this was a good fit, and that was 26 years ago, so it's obviously worked out quite well. Richard, sad enough, has passed on. But he definitely built a great foundation for Mastio, and we've carried that and grown the company since when I first started in 1996, Victoria. That's amazing. I had not realized you were an early joiner to the company. That's I was. I love the job, and they haven't gotten rid of me yet, so it's worked out well. <laughs> well, someday. Of course, you someday. know, I think so it's we'll, uh, we'll see. Someday I'll retire. <laughs> there we go. That's right. So today we're talking about database customer insights, and obviously that is a lot of what you do. So can you just first maybe just give us an overview on what Mastio does? Because I know you do a wide variety of surveys, insights, data generation across the chemical industry and elsewhere. So really the way to distill this down to a simple level is we're a lot like J.D. Power, Victoria. So J.D. Power obviously measures a lot of customer perception across airlines and hotels, et cetera. But Mastio does the same thing, but focuses on the business to business world. Victoria. And when Dick Mastio started this business in 1989, the first project we did was for polyethylene. And from there, we grew the polyethylene into high, low, linear, low customer satisfaction studies. 
We also do PE film market studies as well, where we assess about 32 different markets, who the participants are, where the growth is, et cetera. In 1996, we started working in the natural gas space due to some deregulation in the government with FERC. So we do gas pipeline, gas marketer type studies. So the BP shells, Conoco's of the world. And then about 18 years ago, we moved into the logistics space, specifically less than truckload LTL. And that is something we do to this day. And in addition to the LTL, we look at global freight forwarding as well as customs brokerage. So if you think about Old Dominion Freight Line or FedEx Freight or any of the main expediting type companies or, or freight companies or companies we're fortunate enough to work with, I think this is important. All the data we do, Victoria, all the data we collect from the companies that we work with, we do by telephone. So we're making these telephone calls directly, talking with people, capturing data. So very fortunate to work with a lot of different companies. As you mentioned earlier, you and I started working together over 10 years ago and mm. during your time at Shell. Yeah, that's really cool. And maybe we'll come back around to some of these other things. But let's start with the polyethylene. And that's really where mm -hmm. I think a lot of our conversation today is going to be centered. So you've been conducting this study, the polyethylene customer value study for over 20 years. Yes, First of all, how has this evolved? Is what you're measuring and is what people are interested in different today? There is a fundamental component to it that has not changed since the beginning. Just measurements around the perception of the sales rep and customer service rep and quality. But I think what's really changed over the last few years, and I don't think anyone will find this shocking, is the increased attention on sustainability in capturing insights around sustainability, whether it's recycling, mechanical recycling, or whatever it might be, Victoria. So that has probably been the key thing. And then I think just the integration, we could use the term omni-channel or however we would like to use it, but the integration of web-based tools, app-based tools for the polyethylene resin manufacturers, as well as just that person-to-person -person type work. So the integration of that, the integration of sustainability has really been a key change over the years to the types of data that we collect. Yeah. And do you see that customers and suppliers are just valuing it differently today? Yeah, some of them, yeah. I think each company values it a little bit differently. It depends on where they're at. So, I mean, for an example, Shell is looking at this data differently than a Chevron Phillips. Sure. Bayport Polymers is looking at it like Shell being a new entrant. Obviously, there is a lot of polyethylene coming into the market. The announcement yesterday, as we were speaking about earlier, with Chevron Phillips and then Shell coming online and with what Bayport's done and ExxonMobil, et cetera. So, depending on where you're at in that life cycle of the business is largely how you view the data and how you analyze that data internally. Yeah. Awesome. So I'm going to share some of this information on the screen. So the folks that are either going to watching it live or going to be watching this mm -hmm. on YouTube, which is an option as well, will have some of this. So the first is kind of an array of the results that you came in from your 2021 study. So what are we looking at here? Yeah, it's and, a great question. So yeah. as I mentioned earlier, we do all of this data collection by telephone. And one key part of the data that we collect is around what we call customer needs. So when I'm interviewing you, let's say, Victoria, I'm not only asking you to rate the polyethylene suppliers that you've used in the last 12 months. I'm yeah. also asking you how important these factors are when you're selecting between suppliers. So we use a scale from 1 to 10, with 10 being critically important. And here you can see at the top. And really no shocking surprises when you look at this. It's been very consistent over the few decades outside of a few attributes that I'll hit on momentarily, but the lot-to-lot -lot consistency, the processability, the proactive communication is an attribute that's become more important as we've had a, a number of storms the last few years. 
So that and people's expectations have increased as well around the mm-hmm. levels of communication that they expect from their suppliers. Consistent and accurate on time delivery. But there's two attributes I'd like to point out from an importance perspective yeah. is the supplier is honest and trustworthy and supplier always meets commitments. Those are attributes that we measure the importance of that have become more important over the course of time. I'd say in the last eight or 10 years, they've really kind of moved up into that top 10, Victoria, and have maintained That surprises me. I'm kind of chuckling over here because I'm thinking, (laughs) isn't that something that we've always wanted? Is that our supplier is honest and trustworthy? Yeah, we do. But sometimes we get so focused as a buyer of, say, polyethylene or another commodity that all I care about is I want it. When you say you're going to get it to me and I want it to work and I want it to run. So what you've got to kind of position yourself is, okay, if all those things are equal, who do I want to do business with? It's those people that are honest, that meet their commitments, that suppliers committed to my business long term. So given the life cycle of polyethylene and and the consolidation over the years of the providers, and now we have new ones, obviously, it's really important to understand what those buyers are really looking for. So this is one way we look at customer needs. This is one way we capture that perspective. Yeah. If you like, the next slide gives us a little bit more of an in-depth view. So that previous slide is what people tell us is important. So what we'd like to do is take that data point, Victoria, and build a two-by-two decision matrix where we're looking at that stated weight that you see or that we saw on the previous slide. That's that plot for the x-axis or the y-axis, excuse me. Right. X is a correlation. So when we think of correlation, we think of data pair, just to really distill this down, is when someone rated a supplier high on likelihood to recommend, which generates that ever popular net promoter score, we can understand what else did they rate them high on. So we can start to build a roadmap and understand for companies, what are those baseline requirements? I'm a huge football fan, Kansas City Chiefs, so I always use that analogy of the basic blocking and tackling. Mm. And that's where the baseline requirements Mm. come into play. And that's just something people just expect, right? I mean, and that's what they that's expect exactly just it. walking in the door. If you just want to be a supplier of any variety, you just need to be doing the basic stuff appropriately. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing with the low impact. It's not that they're not important, but you've just got to be as good as everybody else. Yeah. So where we work with companies that are struggling, we want them to focus on those factors. Mm. But the companies that excel and continue to excel, you really point to those conscious differentiators, yeah. Victoria. So let me just, I'm just going to run through because some people will be listening Please. to this just on audio, but mm-hmm. basic requirements, which again, no real surprise that sufficient inventory is maintained, that the order is error-free and processed quickly, that the resin is processable, good quality, consistent, and that invoices are accurate. We mm-hmm. all like to be billed correctly. Absolutely correct. Yeah. Okay. And then conscious differentiators. Those are factors that have that high correlation and the high stated importance. And and there's a lot of what I call soft issues, those relationship factors. You're committed to my business. You're honest. You're proactive. The CSRs respond. Your sales reps respond. You're consistent. Communicate. You can't use the term communicate enough around this, especially in today's supply chain challenged world that we live in. So those are factors for the companies that consistently perform well. Those are factors that they're at the top of the game. Yeah. So what's interesting to me is, do people care what type of communication they get? Do you guys get into that at all in any of your discussions? We do. We do. I mean, the bad thing is everybody's a little bit different. So you've got to try and cover all the bases and meet the constituents across all different platforms. But I do think there's that ongoing, whether it's an email or a newsletter, 
but it's also that sales rep, he or she reaching out on a regular basis, not necessarily just reaching out to say hi, but reaching out and say, hey, we've got this, or have you had challenges with this and coming in with solutions to do that? Yeah, that makes sense. And then low impact stuff. How does that, impact, I mean, is that baseline as well? or It is. It really is. It's parity at competition is sufficient. So you're not necessarily going to win any business because you're the best, but you can lose business if it's a significant gap. Yeah. So you just need to be on average. And these are sorted in order of the correlation as well. So the relationship with my customer service rep, even though it's low impact, it has more importance than, say, a timely invoice. Yeah. So again, it's aligning the organization around these factors and, and getting them where they need to be and then elevating that performance on the conscious differentiators. And then the latent differentiators are things that people will tell you they don't matter, Victoria. Mm. They have a very low stated weight, but they have a very high correlation. And if you look at this, it makes sense. Flexibility because of all the challenges around supply chain, getting rail cars, et cetera. Your sales rep is a problem solver. So everybody will tell you price, 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 price. Well, absolutely. Price is critical. But if my price is the same and Victoria's price is the same, who are you going to do business with? Yeah. And one other thing was interesting here, and I mentioned this earlier, is that resident suppliers align with my sustainability initiatives. That's a relatively new attribute. And it's critical. Uh, we're seeing where people will say, oh, that, Kevin, that doesn't really matter. But when you dig into the data and you really understand it, it's a critical piece. Yeah. And it's not going away. It's only going to be going to become more important to the organizations. And what's interesting, Kevin, is the areas that you guys have identified as either conscious differentiators or latent differentiators. I work with a lot of companies, and these are the areas that I talk about with them. Mm-hmm. That's really your customer experience differentiator and your value differentiator. It is. It and is. I think people sometimes disregard it, right? So I think often in the chemical industry and in the plastics industry, we think that our product is what's making the sale or all these other things. And what I tell people is, Product is replicated. Heck, we know that, especially yep. in commodity chemicals and commodity plastics. That's all very easy to differentiate. But going the extra mile and being flexible and offering that flexibility, making that connection back to sustainability, I think that's becoming more and more critical. And actually, and I work with a lot of different companies and say, hey, listen, guys, when you're going to your customer, don't the fact that you're able to support their long-term sustainability that maybe they're not talking about, but it's a corporate imperative. Mm-hmm. It's a business leadership imperative. That's important. Figuring out how to create the connections off of those points of differentiation is critical. Absolutely. I couldn't agree yeah. more. And that will continue to be the case. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, I'm going to be putting these slides on the website as well when your episode gets published. So will people be able to take a look at it and learn from that as well? I'm going to move on to the next The final slide here is just a continuation of the previous slide, but I wanted to include this just to look at these attributes over the course of time and how they can shift. You've got some that have been baseline since 2015 and same for conscious, but you get some that kind of move around. I think one of the key takeaways is some of the things at the bottom that have been low the entire time. And one Mm -hmm. of the, the two of the attributes I wanted to point out in the low, Victoria, are around the technical service rep. And I think 20 years ago, you could differentiate on that tech service rep. You can't yeah. today. That's expected. You've got a product. Okay, so it's an I assumption that you help. are bringing that to the table, that you're yep. bringing technical yep. service to the table. Got it. Absolutely. And they just expect that. And you see that it communicates the knowledge, technical service personnel respond in a timely manner. That's a mandatory have to have, basically. Mm-hmm. But I think the other thing, too, that to point out is just the continuity around the unique commitments committed to my business and honest and trustworthy. 
has been conscious the entire time. And I would tell you that whether it's a plastic study, something we do in natural gas or something we do in logistics, these attributes often land in very similar locations on the quadrant. Now, especially some of the soft, because those people related ones are the same types of attributes uh, really across the whole set of studies that we do. So they really yeah. do matter. Price does matter. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But once yeah. you set that off to the side, as I always say, it's the big pink gorilla in the corner of the room. But once you set that off to the side, these other factors really come into play. Yeah, I think it's interesting. And I think the things that have become baseline that maybe weren't there before or, or that mm-hmm. the baseline shifts, right? <laughs> Proactive yeah. communication now being really a very conscious differentiation point. Right. And sometimes you almost have to, when you look at this, you got to look through the lens of what else was going on at that point in time. And was there a hurricane? Okay. Was there a winter storm, Yuri? Was there what happened during that time frame can also tend to be something that drives or moves an attribute to a degree and puts it in a different quadrant? Yeah, that makes sense. And in fact, that's one of the things I was going to say is that I think over the last two years, this proactive communication has become very critical. It's mm-hmm. also gotten very exhausting, right? I mean, I think that I think everyone, customers, suppliers, no matter where you are, it has been such a challenging set of churning things going on mm-hmm. that has kind of exhausted everyone. And yeah, communication oh, and all of this is really important and it's critical. But when you're struggling to be on time and then you've got to communicate about it over and over and over again. Oh, yeah. Well, it's it's, it's challenging across the the whole enterprise, whether it's customer service or the people in logistics trying to communicate to customer service for them to communicate to the customer. I know there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes with rail cars and telematics around that. So uh, I I do know we work with a company called Greenbrier that manufactures Mm -hmm. rail cars. And that's something I know they're doing. The industry as a whole is trying to get that a little bit better is. The example is, Victoria, I, I served, I did a customer advisory board recently, and the guy's like, listen, I can track my Domino's pizza on my phone. Why can't you tell me where my freight's at? That's exactly right. That is a, <laughs> it's a I mean, I feel the example, same way. But it's the same. Yeah, really I feel is. the same. And, I think the level of transparency that we've gotten in our personal lives, particularly around shipments and hack my Amazon package, I know that it's showing mm-hmm. up in a minute and then, oh, it just showed yep. up and then whatever. I mean, People have this expectation if if I can get that for a five cent widget, mm-hmm. why, why can't, can't I, I have it on a shipment? High value product. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's absolutely um, and it's yeah. I mean, I think we're getting better, right? We're getting mm-hmm. better. I do. It's who pays for it and mm-hmm. how do they pass that cost cost on? And yeah, everybody wants everything until they have to pay for it, Victoria. Oh, no kidding. No kidding. <laughs> and that's a dilemma to dilemma in terms of how anything's being paid for. Right. It and is. Yet, it is. You know, I, I told somebody recently, I said, there's a bit of a leap of faith. And when you're making mm-hmm. some of these digital investments, it's not apparent how the value is going to play out today. But in five years, when you're substantially ahead of and different and have that platform that can really make a difference, you're winning. The value is coming through. It's just hard to plan it ahead of time. Well, it is. And I've done a lot of work in the plastics industry around this is that you don't want to alienate that existing person that's in that role. But if you think five to seven years from now, I think I get an email every day or every couple of days of somebody I work with that's retiring, Victoria. Yeah. So that person coming in behind that individual has a different expectations from a digital perspective. So how can you build that for tomorrow, yet maintain that information today that satisfies the person in that role currently? Mm. It's a challenge. 
Yeah, it is challenging. In fact, actually, it brings me back to, I was going to make a comment. We were talking about the, basically the expectation that everybody has a really good, competent technical service team is critical. And yet everybody seems to be having a hard time hiring. And a lot of those really experienced technical service people, they're retiring, right? They're aging out, they're retiring, they're moving on to the next phase of their life. Are are you seeing this? Are you hearing this from the customers that you talk to in terms of that challenge? Oh, absolutely. That person they relied on for the last 30 years is no longer there. And you're seeing that we see that across all the different industries we're working in, especially, especially plastics and energy. Mm-hmm. And engineering related positions, people in the field for the natural gas pipelines, Victoria. I know of a few companies in Houston that are major pipeline companies that have over 60% of their staff eligible for retirement that are in the field. Wow. So it's a challenge and it's not going away. So, how can we develop these kids, young people, to want to go into these roles? Plastics is mm-hmm. not always the most glamorous job, but it's yeah. a wonderful place to be. Yeah, it is. It's a great place. And we need to keep making it exciting to keep bringing younger talent into the pipeline and keeping it going. Absolutely. So recently on the podcast, on an episode a month or so ago, we talked about five marketing archetypes and how they influence marketing behavior. So the, the archetypes we talked about are sales enabler, innovation champion, customer experience architect, customer insights generation, and iconic brand builders. And I think the archetypes themselves are not necessarily the most important part, but we know that each of our chemical companies, each of our plastics companies, they have a different profile. They have different things Mm -hmm. they're good at. They have different things they want to be good at. And those things influence their marketing behavior, right? So how do you see this playing out when you are doing this work Because with your customers? Because maybe not everyone wants to be number one in each one of these categories. How does that play out? How do you see companies interpreting this information and how do you see them taking action on it? It somewhat aligns around their value proposition and who they are and who they want to be. And what are those key factors? Not everybody wants to be the touchy-feely company. Some people are more engineering. It has so much to do with the executive team and how they lead the organization. That's why we do think in the Mastio surveys, you get a lot of the base questions that overlap every organization. And you've got some that are more specific to some versus others. And we do in many instances, have some questions, Victoria, that are specific to a company because there's something they want to know and they want to know it and they don't want everybody else to know it, but it's more applicable to them. So we try to have an an option to customize some of this as we collect data because every company is different. And again, you've got some companies that are very heavily ran from an engineering perspective, and you've got some that are more about the customer experience. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And I think we all... We maybe all know we who know they who are. Too. Um, we know I, who I, I, And I think the other interesting thing, I know you're working with some of the newer entrants. So Shell is one, yes. obviously, which has just recently started up, Bayport Polymers. As a new entrant, you have a choice. You have a choice mm-hmm. in terms of what is the experience that you want to bring? What is the value you're bringing to the table? How do you want to interact with your customers, right? Not often that we have a clean slate and every once in a while you do. Where do you see people going that are coming in with a clean slate? It's kind of a combination. Obviously, it goes back to a comment I made earlier. The new ones are very technically driven, not tech service driven, but tech around whether it's an app or the website experience or ordering it through that more of an omni-channel type perspective. I think that's part of it when they've got that clean slate. And in others, it's, hey, we're going to come in and we're going to be that more tech savvy from a technical service perspective. We've got more highly engineered residents. So it depends on, to some degree, their portfolio of products as to how they approach the market. 
And then again, you've got a couple, and and I know of one of the new entrants that is very much working towards more of a, say, a website type, but a very superior customer experience through a digital channel. Yeah. Interesting. So let's talk maybe a bit, just real quickly before we wrap this up about logistics. So you... Yep. You do a lot of work in logistics. Logistics and supply chain has become a household word Mm -hmm. in ways that nobody ever anticipated over the last couple of years. What stands out? What trends are you seeing? And how do we think about that when we bring it back into the chemical industry? Yeah. I mean, obviously there's a lot of different ways, whether it's rail, a lot of the bulk truck, Gaylord's on LTL carriers. So there's a lot of different things. I do think and we do see it starting to stabilize and normalize a bit. We've even seen that with the ports. The number of ships uh, waiting to come into port has declined both on the West Coast and the East Coast. Mm-hmm. So we see some normalization there. Obviously, the economy slow down, whether people agree or don't agree. There is a slowdown to some degree. And you're seeing that with someone like FedEx Freight that has announced furloughs of drivers. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to more closely align their network with the demand today, but not lose those drivers because they believe it's going to pick back up. But we did see a significant decline in what I call the shipper experience in 20 and 21. Me as too. A matter of I fact, saw that yeah, too. Yeah. yeah. As a matter of fact, on the LTL study that we do, we saw a trend down on every single attribute we measure in 21 versus 2020. So that industry mean declined every single attribute that we measure. Victoria, we recently finished the 2022 LTL study, we had about 60% of the attributes actually come back up, but that still doesn't really get us to the 2019 levels. But I do think as you see a little bit more of a normalization across that, I want to say it's going to get better, but nothing gets better overnight. So it will take time and it's going to be somewhat dependent on the provider and what their mix of freight is and how they can align that more closely to uh, what the demand is. Yeah. And I would imagine that... When you've gone through a period, as we all have over the last two to three years, of all the supply chain challenges, all the freight and logistics challenges, you kind of set a new baseline of expectation. Like my, the bar yeah. that you have to cross to be awesome is not as high anymore. Oh, it's much it lower. So <laughs> bad for a while. They have. They've readjusted the expectations in many instances. And you don't have to be as good in some instances to be good. Yeah, And some of that depends on who you use as a shipper, different carriers, some have maintained a higher level or some have declined. But yeah, we've accepted a lower level of performance for now. For now. So for now. All right. Well, I guess we'll have to touch back back later and see how that has evolved. Let's do so, it. So Kevin, this has been great. What's next for you? What's next for you and for Mastio as we're yes. wrapping up 22 and looking into 23? So 23 is we'll do the polyethylene customer experience study. We do that every two years. We'll also do the polypropylene, which there's a lot going on in the polypropylene industry. And it's, I don't want to say it's suffering right now, but it's maybe struggling a bit. Uh, We also will do the polyethylene film market study, which is a massive undertaking for the Mastio team. We've been doing that study for many, many years, and we do it every three years, Victoria. So it's a bit different than everything else. So that's in 23, and then we'll continue to conduct the various studies around the supply chain and logistics space and hopefully add a few new ones. Okay. So awesome. busy, we'll have, busy have 2023. You, it sounds really busy and I'll have to have you back so that I, I like can that. get that we can get that comparison of Perfect. how things have played out. So that's great. Well Kevin, thank you for joining us today on the Chemical Show. Appreciate having you here. It's been my pleasure. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. And thanks to everyone for joining and listening. Keep following, liking and sharing the Chemical Show and we'll keep bringing you great insights. Cheers. 
We've come to the end of today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and want to learn more. Simply visit thechemicalshow.com for additional information and helpful resources. Join us again next time here on The Chemical Show with Victoria Meyer.